0: Um. do we have great Jeanette come on up if you would read us the
1: prayer for illumination in the little sentence after that please join me in the prayer of illumination oh you who are the light of the minds that know you the light of the hearts that love you the strength of the spirits that seek you help us so to know you that we may truly love you, so to love you that we may fully serve you, in whose service is perfect freedom. Amen. And our scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. And it's the story of John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all of Judea were going out to him, and all region along the Jordan. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, "'You brood of vipers, "'who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? "'Bear fruit worthy of repentance. "'Do not presume to yourselves, "'we have Abraham as our ancestor. "'For I tell you, God is able from these stones "'to raise up children to Abraham. and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord.
0: He takes God. Well, if you uh, haven't yet had your coffee, uh, John the Baptist is a way to wake up. Repent, YOU Boodoo vipers! And a Happy New Year to you too. So, um, I, but I actually have a, a, a soft spot for John. And I'm going to talk a bit about how I uh, see and understand this call of his to repentance. Uh, but I want to also talk a bit about baptism and I want to, uh, I'll just touch briefly on Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, baptism is a theme that we'll be continuing next week, um, because next week we'll hear the story of the baptism of Jesus, and um, as a uh, Part of that, um, we'll also have an opportunity to, uh, renew our own baptismal vows. So we'll have a, a sort of hands on sacramental element to worship next week. So it makes sense to talk a bit about baptism. All right. So John the Baptist. Now, according to Luke's gospel, not to Matthew, but according to Luke, this is, of course, Jesus's cousin. Uh, Matthew isn't really interested in the biographical details. Matthew just says, He showed up! Boom! He was in the wilderness. Doesn't say how old he is, doesn't... Matthew doesn't say anything about where John comes from, who he is, his parents, etc. No, there's John the Baptist. So, um, John the Baptist had his own following. He had his own disciples. And he actually never became a disciple of Jesus that we know of. None of the Gospels mention it. They do say that John... um, it says of course that one will come after him who is more powerful and whose sandals he is not worthy to uh carry or untie depending on your version um so he he's aware of jesus but he never actually becomes a follower of jesus himself so he's a bit awkward for the gospel writers because here's this figure who's very important in the story of jesus but never actually becomes part of the jesus movement so now, of course, because it's Matthew and Matthew quotes the Old Testament at the drop of the hat. Uh, Matthew says, this is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John was um, west of uh, Uh, No, he was east of Jerusalem and west of the Jordan River. He was out in the wilderness. And this, of course, is a place in, in Jewish thought. The wilderness is the place where there's chaos. But also, it's the place God shows up. So there's John the Baptist in the wilderness. And he is baptizing in the River Jordan and hearing people's confessions and he's having his own ministry. So let's talk about baptism. Christianity did not invent baptism. Immersion in water as a kind of purification is something that was and still is part of Jewish ritual. Uh, It was in Jesus's day and um, it is still today. There is a Jewish practice called the mikvah, which is a, a ritual bath that you take at certain times uh, in order to um, uh, rid yourself of impurity so i just want to take a moment to talk about the jewish understanding of this and how it shifted a bit in christianity and we'll talk more about that next week in jewish understanding all of us everyone walks around in their everyday lives Um, with uh, mostly in a state of impurity. The Jewish thought has um, certain times when you need to be ritually pure, uh, but it's understood that most of the time you're going to be impure. And we hear words about impurity and purity come up in the gospels. But the thing that Christians often misunderstand about Judaism is that impurity It's not a bad thing. It's to be expected. It's Christianity that winds up kind of attaching moral value to pure and impure. But in Judaism, if you think about it, it's it's kind of a form of sterility. So if you think of our everyday lives, most of the time, we are not sterile. The stuff we touch is not sterile. And that's fine. It doesn't need to be. But there are certain moments in your life when you really, 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 really need things to be absolutely fully clean. You need them to be like a step beyond what we can do. Um, So if, for example, you're getting knee surgery, well, if someone's gonna take a scalpel and cut into your body and then stick a bunch of stuff in there and, and fiddle around, you probably want those instruments to be nicely sterilized. That really matters. Uh, Or if you're going to stick a thermometer under your tongue and the last person to use it was your kid with chicken pox. Like you probably want to dip that in some boiling water first. There are times when we really need things to be uber extra clean, or if you're having to clean up the bathroom after someone's had the stomach bug, right? Like you want to use a little extra bleach because you don't want bacteria hanging around. That matters. But usually, wiping down your kitchen counter or washing your hand, every so often, you're going to wash your hands with soap. But unless you have um, a severely compromised immune system, you're not going to walk around your everyday life wondering whether everything you touch is clean. Because if you do, you will go bonkers. Same thing with Jewish understanding of purity and impurity it's fine to be impure most of us are most of the time but there are times in your life like if you're like um zechariah in john in uh, luke's gospel and you're going into the temple you're going into the holy of holies you need to be ritually pure and one of the ways you do that is you have this kind of ritual bath But it's understood that what you're doing is you're cleansing the body from impurity. And you're going to need to do it again. It's a thing you'll need to do on a regular basis. What John does differently is that John sees baptism as pressing the reset button permanently. You've been baptized, it's not just an external purification, it's an internal one as well. You are not just uh, externally pure, you are morally reset. This is a new understanding of baptism. And this is why in Christian tradition, we baptize once. We baptize once. We don't do it again and again. Um, even if you're changing denominations uh, within most churches, if you, you know, if you'd been baptized in the Baptist church or the Presbyterian church, and you came to me and said, Francis, I want to be baptized in the Indian church, I have to say, I can do a ritual and I'd be delighted to, but I can't re-baptize you because the understanding is that it's God doing the baptizing. I can't redo what God has already done. God has blessed through baptism and filled you with the Holy Spirit and pressed your reset button. It's one understanding of baptism. We'll explore more next because then we get into infant baptism and infants are morally raw, impure, and don't need resetting, but that's a whole other conversation. So John is doing something different in his understanding of baptism, but not the practice of immersion in water. And then he gets some Pharisees and Sadducees coming out. And okay, the Pharisees and Sadducees really get a bad rap in the Gospels. Our historical accounts tell us that they existed, but they were there wasn't anything actually all that inherently bad about them. It's just that they disagreed with the Jesus movement. And if you're a gospel writer and you're writing an account of how Jesus is the son of God and everyone should believe in him and everyone who doesn't is wrong, well, by Jing, you are going to run down them Pharisees and Sadducees. So just a quick note about who the Pharisees and Sadducees were. They were movements within Judaism. So they were denominations. They had different understandings of how you should live out your faith. Sadducees were quite um, attached to the temple and the high priesthood. And they had an understanding that um, you, you were born into Judaism. You couldn't really convert. Pharisees uh, became more of how we think of rabbis today. Uh, they were more about teaching. They were more about living out practices in everyday life. And they did think, well, yeah, you can choose to be a Jew. You know, like you, you can you can be part of it. But anyhow, neither of them are part of the Jesus movement. And that's what Matthew doesn't like. Now, all right, for the good stuff. Fire. Um. Even now the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, for resetting, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His wing fork is in his hand and he will clear his thrashing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Sometimes we need people in our lives to tell us hard truths. Sometimes we need a loved one, someone who is trusted, someone who knows us and loves us deeply to tell us things we might not want to hear. Uh, have you ever seen the movie When Harry Met Sally? There's the there's I think it's Carrie Fisher who plays the character who's having an affair with a married man, and they keep telling her he's never going to leave her, and she keeps saying I know, I know. Sometimes you need that friend in your life who's going to say they are not coming back, or he is not worth your time or um no uh i can't think of another one but you know we're all prone to be in states of denial about realities of our life and sometimes we need someone to tell us hard truths that will set us free that's the objective. It's never, if they're a good friend and they're trusted and they love you, it's never to punish you or to shame you or to um, make you insecure or make you feel worthless. People we love tell us hard things about ourselves and about our realities so that we can let go of habits patterns relationships beliefs hopes fantasies that do not serve us and are getting in the way of a flourishing life of life abundant of life that God means us to have that is what John the Baptist is doing here all people who are convinced that because you are children of abraham nothing can touch you all you righteous religious people who think you got it made who think that because you um, emerged later in christianity in every revival move you who think you're done and dusted because you got baptized once and so you're good for life and you don't have to do anything about it you who think that you've just you know you say the right words and you give the right amount of money and you sit in the right place at the right time and boom you're teflon coated nothing can stick to you well i got news for you you gotta bear fruit in your life john is saying you've gotta walk the talk you've got to put your money where your mouth is you've got to make sure your actions reflect your words and i'm telling you now all you comfortable people at whom john is pointing which is all of us you better take a look in the mirror it's a great way to start the new year (laughs) But here's what I want to say about fire. This can sound punitive, right? This can sound like, look, you know, look busy because Jesus is coming with his and fork and you don't want to end up in the fire. But fire, number one, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit it is the holy spirit that rushes into our lives and upsets what is comfortable and disturbs our routines and renews and refreshes us it is the holy spirit that inspires new life so fire is the symbol of the holy spirit fire is also transformative and purifying right if you gotta um if if, uh, if there are some metals where if you want to purify them you put them at very very high heat uh forest fires there are some trees that don't release their seeds in their cones unless the heat is high enough um blacksmithing there are some things you gotta heat it up really really hot before you can whack it into place fire can be our friend it's dangerous but it can be renewing and transformative and nothing that is burned in fire is is destroyed forever from a chemical point of view everything is transformed into something else it doesn't vanish it is made new that is what fire is doing here fire is here to burn away the chaff of our lives fire is here to rip off the band-aids that we can't do for ourselves when god sends fire not to destroy it's to liberate and open up and remake So don't be afraid of John the Baptist, friends. Don't be afraid of this weird guy in his animal skins, eating insects and honey. Don't be afraid of this call to repent. Don't be afraid of the fire. For God, our God is known to us in moments, fire, renewal, and life. Thanks be to God.